Welcome to yet another episode within the series overall of Let Me Tell You Something that goes under the subcategory of the Meltzer Five Star Project. As myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-hosts, Simon Cross, continue to work through just the first week of the year 2021. Oh. <laughs> fully up to date with all the matches that Dave Meltzer, the Rest Observer, rated five stars or higher. We're into the fourth week now. Fourth flipping week of these. And we've only just got out of Wrestle Kingdom. We're on the 5th of January. <laughs> Simon, what is the final Wrestle Kingdom match of the year that we will be covering for the Meltzer 5 Star Project? We are looking at the title match for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships, where the challenger, Jay White, takes on the defending champion, who has been champion for 24 hours at this point, Kota Ibushi. So this is the second time these two men have had a match that's got the five-star or higher rating. Actually, I think they both got higher ratings. The G1 Climax match, I believe, got five and a half stars. And this match, Meltzer went not quite so high in pointing out the absurdity of his rating system by merely giving it a five and a quarter star rating. So in the eyes of Meltzer, this is a slight step down from their best match. This is garbage! Yeah, why are we... Hot garbage! <laughs> Might as well gouge our eyes out and watch this match. <laughs> if that's all we're getting, a five and a quarter caliber match. It's an insult. But what I'm going to do for a start is I'm going to do something very unusual. I'm going to let Simon speak. Simon. Bloody hell. You've stated, don't blow this. You've stated before how much you have a lot of love for Jay White. I now leave the floor to you to explain what it is about Jay White that you love so much. Okay. Anyway, because what I think is that he... (laughs) So close. So, so close. But in all seriousness, long-time listeners of the show will know I fell in love with a man. That man's name was Masanobu Fushi. <laughs> you like the bad boys, so I just like the little details they do in being shit houses. You can be a, you can you can act bad, you can like cheat and stuff like that. But it's the it's the nth level of detail that people add. That really like sets apart a shit house in my eyes. Masanobu Fushi has it, and Jay White has it, and there's just so many little things he does, which just adds to the whole overall presentation of him as like a snivelling little wretch, but one that could also batter you. It, it's weird. Like he's shredded us out in this. He's a very strong man, but he simultaneously looks threatening and also like a weasel. And he walks that line, that really fine line, really, really, really well. And it's just a case of, I love to hate him. But I love the fact that I hate him that much. In this match, for example, at various points, the way he talks to Red Shoes and his back and forth with Red Shoes, just the utter disdain for him. And like basically um, telling Red Shoes how to do his job. 
his little back and forth with Gado at the start. He just looks like a man who knows he's beaten Ibushi before, got the briefcase off of him. That's how he's in this uh, main event. He's reminding Ibushi of that fact at the start. Just like tapping the briefcase, remember how I won this. He's a man in just such a supremely confident vein in his mind. But throughout the match, the range of facial expressions and emotions we go through, we go through like a whole spectrum of Jay White emotions in this match. And it really plays well off of like Kota's dogged resistance and then cyborg-like nature. Do you see where I'm coming from? It's like, it's like he's the colour to Kota's play-by-play, in a way. Yeah. There are several matches you can compare this to, I think, and there are several wrestlers you can compare both men to, White in particular. I think this match will hold potentially as much significance to Jay White's perception and overall popularity as the Wrestle Kingdom between Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada, the match that broke the star system for good. Yeah. And maybe ushered in, probably without that match, this project might not exist. Insofar as it was a it was a coming out party for everything that he'd been setting up over the past few years and it all coming together in this one match. Because like you say, the key thing about Jay White, actually, I think in this whole match, is that in playing an arrogant heel, he's showing a humility that is rare to see in most modern wrestlers in what they feel they have to do in order to court favour with the crowd, whether as a face or a heel. Because the thing about Jay White is that for the past three years, he has made almost everyone want him to lose. Not just the fans that are following it for the storylines, that are cheering the faces and booing the heels. He's making all the smarks online really annoyed with what he's doing. And this is where it's all come into fruition and it's all paid off. There are podcasts I listen to with people with very forthright opinions who've never had anything nice to say about Jay White until quite recently. And I think they've been taken as suckers. I think they've been exposed as not knowing as much as they think they know, not being as smart (laughs) as they think they are. Wrestling podcasters not being as smart as they think they are. No, 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 that can't happen. That's oxymoronical. That's all sorts of things like that. (laughs) But what it is, is that Jay White has withheld what he can do. I think he said in, like, pre-Wrestle Kingdom interview that he doesn't want to win the Best Match Awards and things like that. Because he sees that as a failure. He wants to win his matches. That's all he wants. He doesn't care about winning it the right way or the wrong way. As I've said so often, he seems like a Dark Mirror Universe version of Hiroshi Tahashi in so many ways. Mm. Use of the Dragon Screw Leg Whip. Even the way that he shows off his abs by opening up his jackets before the match, that's exactly what Hiroshi Tanahashi does. His use of knee-based submissions, his use of intelligence, but instead of doing it with dignity and honour and and goodness, or at least a moral code that they can stand by, he has no code. He He uses his intelligence for deviousness. He is devious throughout the match, and he does. He essentially gets dragged into a great match against his will. In the second half of the match, Ibushi basically forces him into a Wrestle Kingdom main event, and at some points he's able to get back out of it and go into his instincts. 
And it's all about his intelligence. They say it throughout the whole match that he's the ultimate counter-wrestler. He has a counter for everything Mm. that everyone throws against him. Whether it's a reversal of the move, knowing where it's coming, surprising them, just flat out not doing what is necessary for someone to hit the move by waiting himself on the mat. Mm. Or even just, if all else fails, punching them in the dick. (laughs) That's what he has to do. And that's not what you do. You don't do those things if you want to get the five-star matches. You have to do these certain set criteria. And there's a reason why he's got two five-star matches to his name throughout his whole run so far. When he's clearly physically, athletically, and in all sorts of ways, capable of producing those matches that Dave Meltzer's and online smart fans think are what wrestling has to be. He is taking... A modern-day wrestler and trying to use an old-school Jake the Snake Roberts, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair kind of mentality to it. Because I think the guy that he reminds me of the most in this match is Ric Flair. George acting with the referee, talking throughout the whole match, trying to get into the opponent's head, targeting their knees, using their submission holds, and being willing to look like an utter shit and coward when necessary. One of the reasons I love Jake so much is because of what you've just mentioned it's so different to what we're seeing in like most of wrestling these days and it's so refreshing it is very old school it's very 80s because yeah flair against it's old school mixed with new school flair with like steamboat in some of the matches we've covered uh flair against sting um flair just being a shithouse look at the whole Ibushi just suddenly no-selling him. It's exactly what Sting would do when Flair would go for him with chops. Yeah. Ibushi in this match, he did it also, obviously, last Wrestle Kingdom, the sort of glazed-over cyborg look. That episode of The Simpsons where Bart plays truant. See, are you saying Ibushi's like some non-giving-up wrestler guy? Exactly. And he's goading Jay White into things like fighting him, and there's only two strike exchange moments in the whole match. One at about the, when it's starting to get drawn into your traditional Wrestle Kingdom main event after all the traditional heel work and, and working him down. That was the first half of this match. Very reminiscent, actually, of the Osprey Okada match in the first night. And I think Osprey might model a lot of his work on Jay White. And maybe if Jay White is going down a different direction, maybe Osprey's going to inherit that mantle over the next couple of years. I can't see him being. I can't see him instinctively not still doing more flashy moves and and showing off and having more of the five-star caliber matches than in in the eyes of Meltzer than what Jay White's going for. But it's there's one exchange around the halfway point I saw where they're exchanging forearms and the whole thing again with everyone loves doing these things cuz they love looking like a fucking badass. They love standing there and trading yeah. off like they're their favorite Japanese wrestlers. But JY just in, almost as within two or three forearm exchanges knees him in the gut because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to stand and trade and see if he can out physically dominate him, outlast him. He just wants to win mm. and he wants to be in control. So if he knees him in the gut where he's not expecting because he's expecting a forearm in return, that's him playing smart. And then when he gets into these strike exchanges with Psycho Ibushi, it's like it's back. It's almost like he's backed into a corner, and the only way that he can get engaged with him is by doing it. And every time it was something that we saw in the G1 climax match as well. He goes for the elbow, Ibushi hits him back, and he just falls to the mat immediately. 
three times it happens in this match. It, it's weird. He's backed into a corner, but only in like the mental sense. Physically, he like, like Abushi's just planted his feet in the center of the ring. Jay's got the freedom of movement, but he's sort of like compelled. He's drawn into him. He's compelled into him. Well, he doesn't get know how to escape this situation because Ibushi's in a mindset that he doesn't know how to break. And then he just says, I'm not going to play by your rules anymore and just falls to the ground and he's like, I'm, I'm giving up, pin me. And Ibushi, fortunately, is not a sucker, so he's just like, I'll just slap you then whilst I'm here. Jay White covers up. Ref goes to pull him... So it's like, I need the help from the ref. Ref goes to pull him off. Yeah. And that's his opening. Punches him in the dick. And I don't care what mind state you're able to zone out of. Someone hits you in the dick, you're going to be thinking about it. And that's when he sort of evens it back up. And then he immediately throws him to the outside and just starts ramming him into the barricades over and over. Which is what which is what Ric Flair would always do when he needed to regain control after being overwhelmed by his opponent. We saw it against Barry Windham. We saw it against Ricky Steamboat. He drags them outside, smashes them into the barricade, punches them in the face, hits them as hard as he can after hitting them with a low blow. That's what you're seeing in that moment. Yeah. There's part of me that thinks that Jane wanted, knew that Kota wouldn't have took that and lured him in with those. Like, so he knew that the ref would like be pushed off by Kota in that mindset. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. He was baiting him in. He was showing no resistance. So the referee has to call him off if he's not going to pin him. And then that's the opening that he has. Either he shoves the ref and maybe the ref will DQ him. And he says, he points out, I didn't shove you. He shoved you. I mean, he never stops talking throughout the match. And that was another thing I wanted to compare Jay White to. Especially at the start, I was just like, you know who he is? You know who he is? He's Conor McGregor. (laughs) He's constantly jawjacking because he wants to be in the opponent's head and win the fight even before the first bell rings. Yeah. And that's what he thinks he's done throughout the whole thing because he's always overwhelmed. After losing the G1 Climax match, all the three subsequent matches he had, Wrestle Kingdom the year before, the, the pointless third and fourth place playoff match, that now a year on, you realize what the storyline purpose of it was. So that a year from that date, it's suddenly the biggest match of all, instead of it being a, a pointless, like I say, third, fourth place playoff. Beats him in the G1 group stages, but then falls at the final hurdle because of Ishii. And then he does what no one else has done before and takes the G1 contract, which again was another thing that blew up all the smarks online. Not all the smarks, but there were enough smarky smarks that I follow. Uh, smarky smark and the funky bunch in a different way. <laughs> A shower is your friend. Um, <laughs> Jesus. The, the moment where he does the same like foot on rope yeah. pin and the crowd like, and Red Shoes catches him and the, the crowd go mental. As mental as they're allowed to go in this strange time of ours, bless him. I do get where you're coming from in terms of like, he everything he's done is so anti like the fabric of what New Japan stands for in people's minds. When people go, that's what New Japan should be. Which is another reason it works. It's refreshing. It's different. He's stalling like he's Larry Zabisco, but he's in a. Yeah. But he's supposed to be the new, you know, people expecting him to be like a, a, a high flying superstar, sort of in the role that Will Ospreay ended up being for the last few years. I think was what a lot of people were anticipating for Jay White until he debuted in his Switchblade character. Yeah, but we have enough of those. Yeah, of course we do, but people seem to think that that's the only that's the kind of star that gets you the the five star matches, which is apparently all that we're supposed to be looking for. Mm. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. 
I'm not saying I'm in favour of that. I'm just saying that's the that's been what that's been what White's been fighting against for the past three years. I'm just saying that's a ridiculous mentality to have. If <laughs> that wrestling in its very nature is an art form, that's like saying you can only do expressionist paintings. It's, it wasn't originally an art form. It was a con art form. Yeah. You're grifting people. You're manipulating them. And and White is manipulating from the start. He loves clapping at the fans and making them clap to taunt them. He's had so much fun with the lack of crowd noise throughout the whole thing. You can always hear him talking to the ref. You can always hear him jawjack. And he knows that the only thing they can do is clap. And so he'll just clap to try and get them going. And then if some of them that do, it's like, God, you're just sheep, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, not just him actually. Gado's really good mm. at running his mouth in this match. Really, really good. Like he is such a shit house. Like, sh- like not not Jay White shit house, but he's just a little weasel. And he's he weasels so so well throughout this. Um, the facial expression on him when Kota catches that brass knuckle laden hand of his, and he's like, "I'm gonna die here." <laughs> Again, someone that's not afraid to look like the fool. He was a wrestler, but now he seems to be able to put up as much resistance as Jim Cornette does. When Gado was with Okada, I, I didn't really understand what he added. Well, he was sort of the spokesperson to begin with, in that Okada wasn't great on the mic, so they thought, let's give him a, a voice. Okada was his personal project, and so was Jay White. Both times, both of these pet projects of his have been met with yeah, I guess resistance. Initial, skepticism. Yeah, skepticism is the best way to put it. Initially, Okada won them over very quickly by just having the great matches. Jay White, I think, now is the point where everyone gets it. Now he's the, whether it's real storyline or not, the hot, the hottest property to get out there right now to get signed to a contract. And I don't want to disregard Ibushi's contributions throughout this match as well. He does some great stuff. He's phenomenal in this. Like, his selling's great. His athleticism's fantastic. But it's not just that. It's things like when he hands the belts over to Red Shoes right at the start. He has a little moment. It takes a long time looking at He has a little moment with both of them. Again, you know, far be it from me to always bring him up, but I always loved how Bret Hart would kiss his belts before he handed them over when he was defending Mm. them. And I also love that Red Shoes goes to do the traditional this is what you're fighting for to Jay White, and Jay White's just too busy showing his abs off, and Red Shoes like, fine, screw you. Red Shoes hates Jay White, and it's brilliant. But he stays professional throughout it all. Yeah, that's but that's it. Great in itself. I, I remember the first time I came across Red Shoes. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not. When we, I've said it on this podcast initially, I wasn't a fan. I, I I get it now. He's amazing. I love that when he gets pulled out from the ring by Gado, and he goes back in to count. There's that split second moment of he's like, I really shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Obviously, shits happen, but I have to do my job. There's a reluctance, but he doesn't alter the cadence of his count. That split second of thought maybe allows that moment for Ibushi to have enough to kick out from it. I actually think Gato would sell for Red Shoes. If Red Shoes punched him, I think Gato would go flying and be out for the yeah. whole match. Especially uh, uh, that little white hat of his just to like fall off as well. That'd be grand. But yeah, the first 20 minutes or so of this match are uh, along the lines of the Naito match before. It's all about them trying to ground and wear out Ibushi and Ibushi having to survive and then hit the big moves. It's not that Ibushi wrestles dumb. It's just, like I said, the whole thing about Ibushi is that he's this... 
physical specimen, this wonder that can do all these things. It's like when there's a brilliant counter exchange that they describe, and I was, as I was typing it up, Chris Charlton summed it up brilliantly when he said he counterpunched the ultimate counterpuncher. Oh, the rapid Kota combo he sort of hits. Well, Kota goes for his traditional kick and when they're seated, go for a moonsault. White has that move scouted, goes to grab his ankle, Ibushi turns it round into a cradle, White reverses the cradle, Ibushi doesn't just reverse the cradle, turns it into one of his trademark bastard drive moves. I think the idea is that White has it pre-planned, he's like, when he kicks me, he's going to go for that, so I know what to do there. And when he goes for a cradle, I know what to do there. Whereas Ibushi was just like, oh, I've got to reverse this, hang about, hey, (laughs) I can jump him on his head with (laughs) all my favourite moves, yay. (laughs) What a convenient moment that was for me. (laughs) It just flows. He, he's like water, to quote Bruce Lee. One of the th- examples of Jay White being a great heel and, and Ibushi being a great face is that Jay White is nasty when he does these moves. He's being vicious. He's trying to hurt Ibushi mentally and physically as much as possible when he back suplexes him on the apron. And he actually takes nasty neck bumps in this match that he doesn't take from Naito in the face versus face match. He's hitting DDTs and he's putting like extra stank on it as he's going after his neck. There's a tale of two levels of viciousness with that as well. There's You can sort of mark it pre-low blow and post-low blow. He's very vicious pre-low blow, post-low blow. There's like a extra level of like comfort and like an extra level of viciousness comes out it's like okay he's really incapacitated now i'm not going to get as much blowback it's not just like an athletic thing i can enjoy this i can break this man's will now but also i think ibushi annoys him by not going down by not falling to his perfect plan he thought this was not going to be a problem he's beaten ibushi every time this year Ibushi's wrestled a 35-minute match the night before and he's fresh as a daisy. Mm. He's being dragged into this long match and he's being dragged into this epic that he doesn't want. He wants it over and done with. And he goes for backslides and cradles and that when he can. He just wants to win. That links me to two very different but very key facial expressions from the same move. The first time Jay's got the Tanahashi tap out locked in on Kota, there's a level of comfort, like, I'll apply the pressure, I'll get him. As Kota's been dragged back into the centre of the ring the second time, but slowly, through the will of the people, gets to the ropes, the desperate, the desolation, actually, yeah. not just desperation, the desolation on um, Jay White's face yeah. as Kota grabs the ropes for the second yeah. time is an absolutely beautiful moment. He's been trying so much to break... Ibushi mentally and in that moment maybe Ibushi broke him because he just couldn't figure out yeah. he couldn't figure out the guy that he'd managed to beat three times in a row and for some reason everything that he's done before the thing that, that worked for him on Tanahashi hasn't worked for him here him suddenly hitting a Blade Runner out of nowhere like he did to beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom a couple of years ago doesn't work here and the same for when he beat Ibushi in the third fourth place playoff The key story seems to be, based on the Osprey Okada thing, is that you can't cut corners to achieve the ultimate in in New Japan, which is winning Wrestle Kingdom IWGB heavyweight title. Ibushi's had to learn this over these years, and White hasn't learnt it yet. He thinks he can ignore it and do it the easier way, the clearer way. Mm-hmm. The simpler way, what he thinks is the smart way. He's outwitted how New Japan's supposed to work. And he's had some relative success with it. He's had some success. He's won the heavyweight title. He sold out Madison Square Garden on his own, he claims, which is a fantastic yeah. 
way of just sticking the knife in again to those smart fans that really desperately wanted to see Okada Omega at Madison Square Garden and that's what they all expected and instead they got Okada White which again most smart fans would think is a real step down. They wouldn't think it now I don't think because they finally get it and I'm, that's making me sound like I'm above it all. I'm not. I, I don't dispute that like a lot of White stuff could get annoying in different ways but it's meant to annoy. Yeah, he's doing his job. And he's great at it. But you're not used to someone doing that anymore in wrestling. Yeah. And I think we're seeing one of the best at it in quite some time. And another thing I love throughout, especially towards the end, is how they're selling exhaustion. You know how I was saying it with the Takagi-Jeff Cobb match, and I was saying how Bret Hart was so good at it. First of all, they say throughout the whole match, Ibushi's like a half second slower than he usually is because he's coming in having just wrestled a, a really tough Wrestle Kingdom main event already, whereas White hasn't had that, so White's been able to stay one step ahead. But like I said, Ibushi drags him into this deeper water that he's more used to and thrives in, and Jay White isn't used to and doesn't thrive in. It's like when yeah. Jay White beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, it was over in 16 minutes. When he beat Ibushi the last year, it was like 20 minutes. I don't think he went that long with Naito. It's like going over 30 minutes is not something Jay White's used to or even wants to do. He sees that as a failing, essentially. Well, he's not got the result quick enough. The story of the match is that Ibushi is tired and damaged, but he is resilient. And Jay White is overconfident. That's the key of the match. That he's fresh and he's having to find things within him that he maybe even didn't know he had himself. He's done the last-minute kickouts, especially in the G1 Climax match he had with Ibushi. But he's still reliant on Gado at one point to keep him in the match. More than one point. Yeah, but, like, right at the end, he has to, after he gets hit with the Kamagoye. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think, before I forget, of Chris Charlton uh, nicking a Sid Waddell quote? I've always got time for uh, a Sid Waddell quote, so that, that was lovely. Alexander the Great wept salt tears when he realised at 33 there were no more worlds left to conquer. Eric Bristol is only 27. <laughs> or in this case, Jay White is only 28. So Jay White isn't quite the Eric Bristow of pro wrestling. Jay White is a decade younger than Kota Ibushi. Yeah. And yet Kota somehow looks younger. Well, the beard helps. Or, or helps Ibushi in that sense. A man who's relatively good looking as Jay White to... Uh, yeah, again, sacrificing his good looks. Grow a beard that makes him look like a scraggly arsehole. I've, I'm fortunate neither to have witnessed a scraggly arsehole before. I don't know what your Google searches are bringing you, Simon. Incognito mode, bro. Mm, mm. You, you ain't gonna know. <laughs> I, I like how White is always going to the outside from the start. It's like I said, the Larry Zabisco thing. He doesn't like to take the risk. Like Another good example, actually, is that we get a replication of the opponent sprinting at Ibushi and Ibushi turning it into a Hurricane Rana like we did the last night with the amazing thing off the apron. Yeah. Whereas with this one, it happens in the ring because Jay White probably wouldn't sprint at someone on the apron. He, when he goes to the apron, it's to hurt his opponent. And then when Ibushi evades the German suplex on the, on the apron and picks up Jay White, Jay White immediately struggles to get into the ring. But then Ibushi ends up German suplexing him into the ring anyway, but it's like full resistance from Jay White. This is it, it's like all those little obstacles and like little things that Jay throws in the way and Kota just slowly buzzsaws his way through. I love the desperation, and again, like I said, the exhaustion, especially right at the end, where it's like each guy's able to avoid someone hitting a move is through something that would not have worked at the start of the match. Ibushi just gives a really light elbow to Jay White. And it really doesn't look like there's much force behind it. But because of how exhausted Jay White is, that's enough to floor him. There's always these wonderful throwbacks, narratives, callbacks, etc. throughout the whole match that reference history, reference their matches with each other. 
but also reference other matches. One being that Ibushi's journey to this point essentially started at Wrestle Kingdom 9 with Shinsuke Nakamura. And since then, he's carried that mantle that Nakamura had after he left as the striker with the rock star look and everything. And doing the Nakamura pose when he tries to do the bombier, which misses. And then when he hits it the second time without doing the pose. Or when he goes up to the ropes to do the Phoenix Splash and Gado jumps on the apron to distract him. That's a direct callback. So the first time that Ibushi challenged for the IWGP title against AJ Styles. And he had him set up for the Phoenix Splash. And Kenny Omega jumped onto the apron to distract him Uh, and that gave AJ Styles enough time that when Ibushi went for the Phoenix Splash AJ was up caught him and turned it into a Styles Clash so yeah it's just all those wonderful references throughout it or when Jay White will hit uh, the Bloody Sunday the original Bullet Club leaders Mm. move yeah they sort of like all do each other's don't they like another Wrestle Kingdom match time round had someone go through the Bullet Club leaders moves I can't remember who that was was. Omega when he beat Goto at the G1 he hit the he hit the bloody Sunday then he hit the Styles Clash both of them didn't do it and then he did the one winged angel was it no it was either El Fantasma or Ishimori against uh, Hiromu went for Styles Clash this weekend Um, the, the weekend that was. Sounds like something Al Phantasmo would do rather than Ishimori. I can't remember which one. They sort of blurred. I think it was Al Phantasmo. Mm. That that rings a bell. You mentioned Kenny Omega there. Uh, obviously, yeah. Kota throws a couple of V-triggers at the end there. Do you reckon they're hinting at anything? Obviously, they're alluding to things. Whether they're hinting is another question. But that's something for another time. Uh, I like that it doesn't define it. No one goes, like, they don't have Jay White hit him with a one-winged angel or anything like that. Yeah, but... It's just it's just that little thing. I mean, it's something that he'd done the night before. As much as anything, it's the reference to the night before's match. Yeah, it's just akin, really, to Jay hitting Bloody Sunday. It's a mm. compadre's move. Yeah, using something from their partner's move set because they might have run out of ideas for their own stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see. If we ever see Kenny hit a Phoenix Splash, we'll know. Well, he goes for it occasionally, doesn't he? Very occasionally. Didn't he go for it on Moxley in their non-sanction match? Oh, Christ. That was so long ago. Because he did it onto the hardwood floor, didn't he? That was the finish. He went for it, hit the hardwood floor, and then Moxley hit the paradigm shift to win. Yeah. I love Ibushi's expression, like you say, throughout the whole match, when he would suddenly smile at various points. And right at the end, actually, I don't know if you noticed, when he's after he's hitting with the Kamagoye to the back of the head, which is such a cool execution thing. I don't think it actually was hit that well. But the idea of it more than anything was what made it work. Yeah. But then when he holds him for the Kamigoya, he takes a moment to look Jay White directly in the eyes. Like to say, you couldn't do it. Bam! There's two aspects to that. There's obviously his hatred of Jay White. And it boils down to Kozrabushi loves fighting. Jay White fights because it pays well. But I don't even think that it pays well. I think he wants to try and win without fighting. Like I said, he doesn't want to go into the deep waters. He's happy to just play in the shallow end. No, but the only reason he's swimming in those waters at all is because he's not doing it for like the, the prestige or the honour. There's no like code, as we spoke about. It, it's just there's championships and checks at the end of it. But yeah, like like you say, at the end, Jay White has nothing left and Obushi still has it. And at the end, when Jay White's desperately trying to kick him away, Ibushi's smiling because it's like, he's got nothing. 
and I'm still here. The best title matches, I think, as far as storylines, are always one where the champion has something that they need from it as well. Mm. Like we say, it's the difference between wanting to hold onto the belt or needing it. What a character wants, what a character needs. And Ibushi needs to exorcise this demon of Jay White. And he needs to win at Wrestle Kingdom for everything that he's always been set up for for like the past seven years. And has gone all the way around the reeking, as, as Brummies would say. To get to this <laughs> final destination. And like I said, whereas JY's been looking for shortcuts through... He'll, like, drive through a cornfield if it gets him there quicker. Oh, yeah. I don't have much more... I've got loads of notes, but I don't think there's much more to add to it other than... Oh, I, I love JY's use of Regal Plex. Like I said, he hits all these big moves that he doesn't necessarily hit in all his matches to show. I can do the big move stuff, but it's just because... I've been forced into it in this situation. Yeah. A, a backslide with my feet on the ropes isn't going to do it this time, unfortunately. I wish it did. I wish it had. But the bloody red shoes had to notice it and then point to his head saying, I remember. I remember what you did. Yeah, I've seen the tape. Although I don't think it was red shoes that counted it that time. It wasn't red shoes who counted that. It was the other ref. I think that's a factor in it. It's like you're on bigger stages now. You've got bigger refs you got refs with better sense of shoe fashion one of the funny things as well is that so many of these matches you're looking at one character's storyline but i think what gado can do really well in his bookings is that he can make someone the antagonist in one story but the protagonist in their own story and if Mm. you actually had looked at the story in jay's eyes this is the culmination for him this is him turning up four years ago as the switchblade and wanting to strike out on his own. First one he goes after is the guy that he idolised, that when you saw him as a young lion on the outside would cheer when he would win, but now he's like, I have to take you out, and that's Tanahashi. And he fails at yeah. the first hurdle. And then he just becomes desperate to beat Tanahashi afterwards, and he also becomes desperate to beat Okada to prove that he's the top spot, first by infiltrating Chaos. And like I said, Okada hate Osprey because he felt no sense of betrayal from Jay White because Jay White basically said from the start, I'm going to betray you at some <laughs> point. So Jay White has to beat Tanahashi to the point that when he finally invents a move that will make Tanahashi submit, he calls that move the Tanahashi tap-outs. Just like how Naito had certain things in his way that he had to overcome just like Ibushi had certain things in his way that he had to overcome Jay White thinks he's overcome all of them him failing to win the Mm. G1 climax because of what he thinks is like a conspiracy against him but it's actually his own hubris he thinks he exorcised that demon by winning the IWGP title shot from Ibushi who he'd beaten in the G1 climax in the block stages anyway whereas in everyone else's eyes he stole that but he doesn't see it as a thing he just gets it's a win a win's a win is what he believes and he thinks that this is the he's done everything right he's done the smart thing he hasn't had to go down the honorable path and all that bullshit he's done the best possible way at only 28 and like you say he's doing what all the bullet club guys before him couldn't do is is what he sees because a bullet club guy has not ended a wrestle kingdom with the belt and he thinks he's done it the right way this time and now where you go with jay white is an interesting question because you can go one of three paths, he goes, and that's the lesson. And then the spectre of Jay White is what hangs over Will Ospreay's head, is what hangs over any other heel going forward who wants to cheat to know that it didn't work for Jay White, so why is it going to work for you? Yeah. Or you can go down the path of this makes him even more bitter and twisted, and he comes back even more vicious, more sadistic, maybe more violent, maybe make a more violent version of Jay White. Than... Maybe he blames Gado and, like, attacks Gado. That's a face move, though. You're gonna struggle to make someone mm. evil. Or you do the face turn, eventually, that he realises... Or not even necessarily a face turn where he has to 
save someone or, or, or anything like that. It would be more of a gradual thing with Naito where he's just collecting more victories through less cheating means or like Omega had done to the point that he earns yeah. that final victory for Omega. It's a dominion for Naito. It was at the last Wrestle Kingdom. I, like I was saying, I made one of my notes after Jay White got floored by Ibushi. The first time Jay legit wins a strike exchange, the crowd's going to go ape shit. Like, he stands and goes toe-to-toe with someone and knocks them down. Yeah, they will blow up. No low blows, nothing. He just hits them right. The right way. Maybe he wins the G1 that way, like, eventually. Maybe. I mean, we've talked a lot about this match. We've talked a lot about Jay White. I hope we've made it clear that Ibushi does a great job throughout it all as well. And Ibushi's narrative is paid off as well. The, the, the ultimate demon is exorcised. He's won it and he held on to it. Every time that he's held on to something, someone's been able to snatch it away from him pretty quickly. He won the Intercontinental title from Naito and Naito won it back off him almost as quickly. And he nearly broke his neck in the process many times. And this time he did it. And they're even fighting after the bell. As it goes on. So that suggests that there's more chapters in this storyline, perhaps. If, especially if you're going to go down the path of White remaining heel and going even darker and more twisted. Yeah, I don't think White would give up at this hurdle. It wouldn't make sense for his character to just fade into the distance. Well, I mean, everyone goes has gone crazy about the promo, and it is a good promo. It kind of repeats itself. and goes, It actually goes longer than it needs to, which is the opposite of this match. This match is long, but it earns every one of those 48 minutes, as far as I'm concerned. Like, a lot of people, I think, complained about the opening stretch of Omega and Okada as, like, meaningless map work. There was nothing meaningless about the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of this match, which was White trying to just win it through his brains, his wit, and thinking that Ibushi's exhausted and he can just pick at the carcass, and then he realises there's more fight in it. And like I said, he gets yeah. dragged into the main event that he never wanted to have and nearly comes through. You know, like he does have that resilience, that brilliant shoulder up thing that he had from the Omega match onwards, like his first big victory. He outwitted Omega with the Bullet Club as well. So in his story with Omega, he beat him the one time they fought and he got the Bullet Club and brought the Bullet Club back to what it was supposed to be of cheating Gaijin. And he's leading the biggest heel faction within a year of being back from his foreign excursion yeah i mean he debuted in 2013 in england and then spent a year and a half as a young lion and then came back and it's crazy that he's only eight years into his career and he's got so much potential oh yeah i mean he's well he's he's met his potential now i think he might never have a better match than this and that's fine or he'll have a match as good as this but in a different role as as the all-conquering baby face or something yeah there's so many more places it can go it would be a better way of wording it he could work in wwe a lot of people saying i will just be the cruiserweight champion the dude's six foot one he was visibly taller than ibushi and he's Mm. jacked Vince will love him. He might make him Bushwhacker 2.0 in a year's time, but Uh. if I were to guess he stays at New Japan, I don't think he has some epic babyface moment because they don't really do that in New Japan that much. It's it's more Mm. a gradual thing. So I think it might be a gradual thing for him that over the course of maybe two or three years, he'll, he'll win it at Wrestle Kingdom. He'll win it the right way or he'll win it at Dominion. Maybe he'll win the G1 Climax and then lose it to a heel and oh, and then has to do beautiful. what Ibushi had to do. Yeah. And like he's kicking and screaming all the way. Everyone could say like he was saying, wailing about all the, the sacrifices he made and People can say, well, that's this ultimate baby face giving you sympathy. Or he can sound like a whiny little bitch who's complaining because um, and turning himself into a victim. He didn't go my way. Yeah, because yeah. he didn't get his way. You know, he could have claimed that it was a stolen IWGP title match and demand that loads of hairy virgins go and storm <laughs> the Tokyo Dome for him. Oh, 
Yeah. You can make it that way of it as well. But then again, the hairy virgins have all been complaining about him for the past four years. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, I'm salty. I think I might already know the answer to this Yeah, I'm question, giving you five stars. As am I. I, I. I think we made that pretty evident from the start of this. <laughs> if this is the match of the year, it, that doesn't mean it's been a bad year for wrestling. If we've had the best match mm. of the year within the first week. I, I would genuinely be curious to watch this against the Kenny Omega Kazuchika Okada Wrestle Kingdom match to see which one I like more. Ah. Because Kazuchika Okada Omega is more of a spectacle. This was more of a wrestling as it was always in theory supposed to be, which was good guys v bad guys. Character. Then again, was it? Back in the days of George Hackenschmidt and them lot, it wasn't like one of them was it was gorgeous George that kind of, that really started to change it to that, so it depends where your philosophies go. It's, it's differing philosophies, but this maybe is the best match in melding it so that everyone that likes different aspects of wrestling might get something out of this match more than they would Omega Okada, perhaps. Yeah. Someone who just wants to watch it for a hero to cheer and a villain to boo. Mm. Like I said, Jay White shows that humility and again, doesn't go out and do every single thing that he is physically capable of doing. There's no dives in this match. There is not one dive in this match. Ibushi, like, Jay White cuts him off when he goes for the golden triangle. And that's it, you know? Yeah. I love the fact that he couldn't that he couldn't even be drawn in on a, brava- on a battle of bravado that even Tight Chief was able to fall for. So. <laughs> so, yeah, five stars for me. I As my memory of the G1 Climax, this was better than the G1 Climax match as well. I think it was, and I yeah. I think I gave that match five stars. Too. I'm fairly sure I did. If someone were to say, make your top ten wrestlers of the world right now, do you think Jay White would be... Would he be number one? Is there anyone that you would say you like more than Jay White right now? Oh, he would be on the podium. Who would also be on it? Hangman Page? Hangman. Omega? Uh, Omega's, I, I, I think... Pac? Pac, maybe. Uh, Ray Phoenix. Yeah, he's up there. He's, he, he's Jay White is definitely what in the conversation without a shadow of a doubt. I think you can make the case for everything that wrestling's supposed to be for so many people. Jay White maybe fits more of those criteria better than maybe anyone. Maybe John Moxley's up there as well. Mm. It's like Eddie Kingston has certain things that he does better than everyone else, but certain things he's just not quite up there physically. He can't do it, but that's fine. That's for another time, another occasion, another discussion. We've got one last hurdle to jump, Simon. We're crumbling to the ground from a mere light elbow to the chin. But we're going to get up and do one last Kamagoye to the star rating system. What are we covering next week? We are covering two of the men we just sort of men. Well, we just mentioned. We're covering a AEW world title match on the main event of Dynamite. So this takes place three days after the match we've just reviewed. Uh, and we are covering Ray Phoenix taking on Kenny Omega for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Could we see wrestlers from these two matches meet up at some point in the ring this year? Oh, the the thoughts people would have. But anyway, (laughs) how can people get in touch with you, Simon, to talk about their top 10 wrestlers? People get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of sleeper suplexes that made me genuinely wince in this match. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for authority, N for no respect for said authority. 
That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook accounts. And if you feel like throwing a few pennies our way to maybe get an ab crunching machine so that we can both end up looking exactly like Ibushi and Jay White, then by all means go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a quarter star time. Until the next time. Until the next time.